I'd like to have you uh, read one verse in Psalm 84 as we assemble. I, I've had this subject of worship on my mind, and that song, that last song, was so precious. And um, worship, Psalm 84, verses. <clears throat> One, two, and three. How amiable are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Uh, worship is, remember when the Jews were uh, slaves in Egypt, the one thing God, God wanted them to leave Egypt so they could worship him. And Pharaoh didn't understand that at all because he didn't know the Lord. And in the same way, the world doesn't understand our worship, but we are called to worship. And when we come and assemble like this morning and we are setting our hearts before the Lord and coming before God, then this is worship. And uh, we learn to delight in it. We learn to enjoy it. And God enjoys it, that this is a message in itself, actually, but uh, just shortly. Your tabernacles are amiable. That word is like for the word love, like to love your tabernacles. Uh, Places of worship. There was one tabernacle in uh, Jerusalem, but then now there are many tabernacles like this one here. And it's not the building, it's us in the presence of God. Verse 2, my soul longs, yea, faints for the courts of the Lord. Uh, this actually develops in your heart. You actually long to come. You long to assemble. You long to sing uh, with all your heart. You long to listen. You long to be sensitive. Here's a good question. Is God sensitive about the environment that we worship in? There's an environment that we worship in. Can you worship anywhere? Yes, you can. You and I have the Holy Spirit. We can worship in, in on a sidewalk. We can worship in the woods. We can worship on the ocean. We can worship in the city. But the the highest form of worship is concentration with the brothers and sisters on the presence of God and to listen to his word. That's the highest. And when I we grow in that, then we faint for the courts of the Lord. We desire it out um, in my flesh. My heart and my flesh cries out for the living God. Even my physical body is healthier because I'm in the presence of God. And Moses is a good example of that, and also Proverbs chapter 4. But this is the part I want to get to, verse 3. Yea, the sparrow has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. Now this is the picture. Uh, he sees these birds, and they find a home in the house, in the tabernacle. 
And he is saying, even the birds have a place. You even care about the birds. Uh, Even the birds have peace there. Even the birds. And I am greater than a bird. But this is my home. And to be honest, sometimes I feel as lonely as a bird or as uh, weak as a bird and as frail as a bird. But I have a home in the tabernacle of God that God is welcoming me in my weakness, in my loneliness, in my frailty. Even a bird has a place. How much more do we, his children, purchased by his blood, indwelt by his spirit, and part of his body? I think it's a very touching verse. I think it, it speaks to my heart when I kind of look around and I just say, no, the Lord is for us. He is for us. He has a home for us. He has a place for us. Sometimes, um, like yesterday, I went up to see Don Soprano. Uh, many Pastor Don Soprano, many of you know who he is. And I just sat with him, with Pastor Sturge, and we sat together and had fellowship together. You know, uh, as our brothers and sisters get older, they could say even a bird has a place, and so do I. But I am much more than a bird. We are the sons of God, and we have a place in his house. I'm so glad that we can come here on a regular basis and develop the habit of worshiping together, loving each other, listening to these words and being built up by them. Amen. Morning, everyone. Um, just a couple of thoughts before we, we take our offering. I was reading um, in the book of Genesis, the 28th chapter, um, the story of, of Jacob, which is a fascinating story. But the 28th chapter tells us what has just transpired. And, and what has he done? But he's uh, deceived his father and in the process uh, stole the birthright that belonged to his brother Esau. And uh, once that was discovered, um, I think perhaps his mother came to him and said, if I were you, I'd pack your bags um, because your brother... Um, has discovered what you've done, and he, well, you know, like most families, he wants to kill you, and (laughs) your father is angry with you, and uh, the best thing you could do is, you know, hightail it out of here. So he he leaves, he runs, and uh, takes him on this journey for miles and miles. Then he's exhausted, and it's time to get some rest. Now think about it. With all that he has done, with all of this deceit, with all of this cheating, with all of this lying, with all of this stealing, he's not about to, you know, stop and worship God. That may be the last thing on his mind, because in his mind, he's probably thinking, God probably doesn't want anything to do with me. So he stops and he gets some sleep and he finds two rocks 
which were the original my pillows. And, you know, sets up. I mean, you know, where was Mike Lindell when you needed him? And, and he goes to sleep. And, and, then, and then what does God do? You would think that that would be the appropriate time for God to say, you know what, Jacob, now that I've had a real good understanding of what you are like, now that I've seen your heart, and it's been revealed through your actions. You've given me every opportunity to choose someone other than you. But God didn't do that. When Jacob is not looking for God, God is looking for Jacob. And, and then what does he see in this vision? Ladders, desc- uh, you know, descending down. And that's so contrary to, because the human race, uh, if when they think of God, they think about, you know, having a ladder that can reach up to God. But you and I that know him, we understand we're not bringing any ladders to reach up to God. He's bringing a ladder to reach down to us. And he comes, that's what he says. And he says the most amazing thing to Jacob. He says, everything that I promised to you and, and your father and Abraham, everything I said that was going to come to pass, I'm going to do it. Wow. What is that? But grace. Because when he, again, is not even thinking about God, God is thinking about him. When he's not even after God, I mean, it's like got to be the lowest point in Jacob's life. And we can all identify with that. At our lowest point in life, we don't think about God. But God's always thinking about us. And I think that's why, as Pastor Shallow just shared here a moment ago, that's why we love coming into a place like this to worship him. Because Psalm 139 says, God says it, I can't stop thinking about you. My thoughts toward you outnumber the sand on the seashore and the stars of the sky. And it's amazing to think that this is our God. This is the one we worship. And we do it because he has been so so gracious to us. And then angels, what does it say? Angels ascending and descending. What a beautiful picture for us, because what are angels but ministers to the heirs of salvation? At our lowest point in life, there will be angels ministering unto us. At our lowest point in life, God will come down, speak to us, comfort us, reassure us, and reacquaint us with his promises, and once again, be gracious to us. So this morning as we take the offering, just think about how good and how gracious God is to us. When we have our Jacob-like moments and when we are, you know, we're running away because of we've had a glimpse of all the deceit and all of the, the lies that are in our hearts and all, all of the terrible things that we've done and we're thinking to ourselves, God, you have made a, a bad decision to choose the likes of me to hear those gracious words that Jacob heard. Everything, everything that I promised to you and your father, I'm going to do it. Your bad behavior will not cancel my great faithfulness. So let's pray this morning. Let's give with all of our hearts and as God leads you and as God has blessed you and prospered you. And uh, let's just have a great offering this morning. Father, thank you so much. Because as we come into your presence here this morning, Lord, we we sometimes feel a lot like Jacob. And yet, 
we're here worshiping you because being like Jacob never stops you from being like God. And we pray that you'd bless our giving, those that are here in the chapel, those that can give online. Bless it, multiply it, use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our text today is Hebrews 12 and verses 18 to 29. And I'm reading from the New King James Version, but I'll be mixing it up with my King James in other verses because a verse might come to my mind. I know where it is because I've been reading this book a long time. The old, the King James, this particular edition, so I know where things are on pages. Okay, so I, I do like the New King James better. I also like the English Standard Version too. Uh, Pastor Love's comment about Jacob was really touching because it relates to us in many ways. Uh, it seems like Jacob were, had a stubborn, he was predisposed to uh, fear, unbelief. He was a rascal. Uh, he knew how to get his way. But God always caught him. God caught him. Have you ever met a real smart guy? Does real good, but then he gets caught. All right. Anyway, he couldn't believe, really, but God showed him. God showed him. Now, his father, Isaac, didn't have any of those problems. By the way, the uh, personality profile of Abraham and their history in Isaac and Jacob are very different, but they're in the same family. And uh, that means that there's a lot of diversity in life. And just because somebody's a rascal doesn't mean they're not, they're not a man or a woman of God. You know, that God's dealing with them. I just had a situation in my mind regarding one brother who's kind of slippery. You know, kind of slippery. But isn't, I don't talk about him. I don't worry about it. It's not my business. God's got him. You know, God's got him. God was going to deal with all of us. And my place is not to judge, but to love and pray for people as much as we can. And also teach the word, the truth. Yeah. Also, uh, Bruce Dunbar went home to be with the Lord um, the other day. Dan, Dan Dunbar is up there with the family, and Doug is here. Doug, we're sorry to hear about your loss. Your dad was amazing. How about it? How about it? He was amazing. Your dad was amazing. Really? Wow. In Lennox, remember? The controller. Big job. <laughs> Big job. He was great. He's with the Lord. Yeah. Um, worship. Our message today is about worship. And we introduced it. And I want to read from one of Pastor's booklets. Victorious, stress-free living is a way of life many believers have difficulty grasping. Doctrine must be repeated and rehearsed through prayer and godly meditation. 
so that the truth can govern our souls. Let's stop there. Uh, Truth, doctrine, governing my soul. I have bad habits, stubborn things. I don't change my mind, my attitudes to my emotional makeup, my temperament, and yet I'm a Christian. But is my life, am I growing? And also, uh, am am I getting the truth in my spirit and in my heart? And am I a worshiper of God? But sometimes we think I get teaching and then I just move on. And then when the trouble comes, otherwise we have a wealth of knowledge that we cannot apply when faced with difficult circumstances. I think that happens. I have the knowledge, but I can't apply it. So I, I know about it. I'm in the church. I'm a nice person. But when trouble comes, I get nasty. I say bad things. I start attacking people and all of that that happens to people. That's people. But to really be changed, really to be in, in the spirit and understand God and know God has a lot to do with our new life. And worship is part of that, because worship publicly, as we are today, and then privately, in my own meditation, in my own prayer life, and getting a hold of it, or it getting a hold of me, and guiding me and leading me, little by little, is really what happens to us. And we do grow and change. It touches us, governs us. So let's look at the text here with that in our background. Verse, chapter 12, verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest, now, what is the mountain he's talking about? Draw a little picture here. We've got one mountain, and it's called Sinai. It's where Moses re- received the law. It's where the Jews were camped around at the base of the mountain. Moses was up there receiving and talking to God, and even Moses was afraid. This is representing law, condemnation, guilt, and everything that the law brings, judgment. The words there are, are important. They burn with fire, cannot be touched. It said even if an animal touched the mountain, it would be struck dead. It's not a mountain you want to go to. Uh, it is a mountain of legalism, a mountain of law, a mountain of judgment. And the words there are blackness and darkness and tempest. And I think psychologically it is so true that religion, if we call this mountain a religious mountain, it produces in the mind and in the heart this darkness, 
I don't want to go to church. Why don't you want to? I don't know why. I just get condemned. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go there because uh, that mountain is darkness and blackness and tempest. And there's a sound of a trumpet, verse 19. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. So go like this. Yeah, don't. Please stop talking. Please. I can't handle it. Please. I don't want to hear it. Um, when the Lord had directed Moses to talk to the people, they said, like, we don't, God talks to you, Moses, but not, uh, we don't want to hear. We don't want to just tell us what we're to do. And Moses said, this is what you do. And they said, we will do it in Exodus 19. If you do a Bible study and compare the mountain at Sinai and look at what it is, the people don't want to hear it. The people want Moses to do the talking, and they don't want to meet God. They are afraid at that mountain. And I've got to say that religion does that to people. It shuts their ears down. They think that you're coming to judge them. In our church, too, I'm sure that are people that when they hear my voice, it might automatically go in a negative way, and they just say, I don't want to hear it. I'm not going. I'm not interested. I can't handle it. I'm just condemned. I'm condemning myself all the time. I feel guilty in my simple nature. Just leave me like this. And anything I hear, I see it coming from that mountain. That's the Mount Sinai. That's the killer mountain. That's the mountain that shuts me down. Um, there are churches that are based on this mountain. And those churches are generally by tradition and people by habit. And they may go there, they put on a face, and they pretend and they act and they do the best they can. But they're gone. They're gone. After the meeting is over, they're gone. They're out of the parking lot. They're not hanging out. They're not enjoying it. There's not love and joy. There's not the worship. There's not the peace. There's not the love. There's not the openness. But it's kind of like we, we have this hypocrisy. And we look like we are okay and we are doing well. But inside, we aren't. So that's a, well, that came out real strong. But that, that's what it's saying. I, you know, look at verse 20. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with an arrow. In the scripture, we don't read that that did happen, but it's saying if it did happen, if a cow or even a rabbit just happened to go and touch the mountain, it would be judged. This happened to Jesus, by the way, on the cross. The wrath of God came upon him. 
the darkness that came upon him in Gethsemane, the darkness of the soul, the darkness of our sin, the judgment of God upon him that came upon him so that this would not happen to us. We would go to another mountain that's described here in the text. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So let's draw that that one here. This is David. This is in Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Now, this is literally Jerusalem in in Israel. But there's another another word here, and it talks about the heavenly Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem that you read about in the book of Revelation, in Revelations chapters uh, 20 and 21. There's two Jerusalem. The literal one in the present age, the literal one, but then there is the heavenly one that we are going to. The Lord has prepared a place for us in John 14. The one that we read about in the book of Revelation. The one that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. The city of the living God. We have come there. When? when? Now we have come there. We are part of that city. We are part of that house, that mountain, that, that mountain that he's talking about. Not Mount Sinai, but another mountain where our ears are open and we want to hear. What is it that the Lord is saying to us spiritually? The anointing of God, the Spirit of God leading us in worship. Worship. We desire it and delight in it. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now, maybe I should make a point here. Jerusalem is on high ground. It's about 700, is it 700 feet? I think above sea level, um, 700 feet, yeah, feet above sea level. So when you go up to Jerusalem, you're going up to an elevation, and then you have the city of Jerusalem, and then there is the Temple Mount, and just below the Temple Mount is Sid David's city, and we're going there, by the way, in some weeks, and we're keeping that, that trip in prayer as many people, about 50 people, are going. And we're going to do a tour there. And uh, we do that every, every uh, other year or so. And maybe you'd like to save up and go on that trip sometime. It is educational and very interesting. They've done a lot of work in, in, in archaeologically and digging and so on. We see the City of David with the technology too, the screens and sounds and everything. It's, they've done a great job there. Okay, so here we have uh, the heavenly Jerusalem in an innumerable company of angels. Where, verse 22, but you have come, but you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God. This is, sounds 
when did I come there? When did I come there? When were we put in the city of God? When did that happen? Christ, when he died, he took the judgment that should have come on us and took it himself, died, was buried, was raised from the dead, and we were raised with him. This is a mystery, but it's true. We were crucified with him, but we live. But not I, but Christ lives in me. We were also ascended with him in Ephesians 2, verse 6, and seated with him in heavenly places. Well, this sounds, uh, I don't know how that relates to my life. It does, because it is the Spirit of God that is in you that enlightens the mind and gives you an understanding in your heart that you are in the family of God. We are not geographically like in our body there, obviously, but in our spirit, in love, in faith. I learned this when I was living separate from my wife. She was living here and I was living in Hungary and we would see each other periodically through the year for weeks and months at a time sometimes, but I was over there as the pastor in Budapest for many years, and um, and I love my wife more than ever. I love my wife so much, I couldn't believe she was doing this for me and for the Lord, that she loves the Lord. She loves the Lord, she loves God, she loves the Word, she loves the work of the ministry that was amazing. But I didn't have to be with her to love her. And we do not have to be seeing God to love God. We love God. God loved us first, saved us, and put his spirit in us, and we know him. When we are at the heavenly Jerusalem here, this one, let's make a list here of all the good stuff that we have. What do, what do we have in the heavenly Jerusalem? We have angels innumerable. Now, again, we haven't seen angels, though they are here amongst us in human form. If we know this from Hebrews 13, that there are, there are people that entertain angels and they are not aware that they are angels. That happened to Abraham in 18, chapter 18. And, uh, and, and that's a fascinating thought. I don't get overly consumed with the idea, but I believe that the heaven and the earth, we are connected in the plan of God and that we are the crown jewel of God's creation. He made angels. He made um, different parts of the universe, solar systems. He made the cosmos. He made the animals and insects. And he made man. Imagine us made in the image of God. Wow. We have not yet seen what we will be. We are some mighty special um, work. We're a mighty, we're a great work, a work of God made in his image. Wow. Uh, so angels come and go. We heard that John 1, 51. Jesus said to Nathaniel, Oh, you think it's great that I knew you were under the tree? 
You, when you hang out with me, you will see angels coming and going from heaven. I wonder if he did, or he did for sure, but what did that mean? Angels, great study. Go to the verse with me, please. It says, and to the general assembly and church. So we have general assembly are generally uh, the Old Testament saints, general assembly. I like to think of it that way, Old Testament saints. I, uh, Isaiah and Daniel and Deborah, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the general assembly are in heaven. And then it says the church of the firstborn. Right? The, the church of the firstborn. The church are the born-again believers, New Testament born-again believers who are in heaven. Old Testament saints were born again also. They were born again. Usually we hear the phrase born again just for New Testament, but no, Old Testament saints were born again. Are you a leader in Israel and you do not know that a man must be born again? He said that to Nicodemus. You don't know that Samson was born again and Gideon was born again and Deborah was born again? That's the only way that our Heavenly Father has any real serious work with us is that we have his nature, that we're born of the Spirit, that we're born of God, that we are regenerated, that we are saved by his grace. Romans 4, Abraham was justified by faith, David by faith, and so it is in the whole Bible. Okay, who else is there? To the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, and the spirits of just men made perfect. And this another category there, spirits of just men made perfect. Maybe it's just a reiteration, just men of the Old Testament saints. To Jesus, we have come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and then to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. When did we come here? We have come through Christ. Yes, we will leave our body one day and we will go there, but we will also be able to say, when we go to heaven, we are able to say, yeah, I was in fellowship. I was in fellowship with God when I was on the earth, and the blood was speaking from heaven on our behalf, and we were justified by the blood. And yes, we were filled with the Spirit on the earth. Yes, we were in the very presence of God in the assembly hall. And we were in fellowship and felt like this is our home. This is our real family. This is where God is our Father. This is a place where we are in connection with each other and that we understand that we have eternal life, that our name is in the book of life, and that we can we are delighting ourselves in him and knowing him. Verse 30, I mean 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. Maybe this is where we can 
really emphasize something here. How is it I could refuse him who speaks? Well, at the other mountain, remember, at the, this uh, mountain, this one, um, Sinai, they were like saying, I don't want to hear it. I can't do it. I'm so disappointed with myself. No, I, I don't, I don't have it. I'm not in, no, I, I'm not interested. I don't, I can't do that. And he says to us now, see that you do not refuse him that speaks. Because he's going to speak to build you up. He's going to speak to help you. He's going to speak and say, I forgive you. My grace is sufficient. He's going to speak and say, I will carry you. He's going to speak and say, I find no fault in you. Go, you are free. He's going to speak and build us up in truth and hide the word in our heart that we might not sin against him. That's what's going to happen. Verse 25 For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. But you know, when you get to know Jesus, you draw near to his breast at the Last Supper. John put his head there on his bosom because he's not afraid of Jesus because he knows Jesus. And even if I'm wrong, I, I want to go to Jesus because he can get it right. Uh, even if I feel bad, I, I just want to hang out with him. I have a friend who uh, sometimes he calls me up and he says, I just got to hang out with you. I go, what's the problem? He goes, I, I don't want to talk about it. I know that if I just hang out with you, it'll be okay. You know, uh, meaning not me, but meaning my his problem with me, he could have a problem with me. He doesn't tell me that, but he could have a problem with me, but he just needs to be around me, if you follow what I mean. I'm, I'm trying to say that by illustration, that, you know, you might have a problem with God, but don't, don't just be, just hang out, be with him. He will take care of you. You may not get the answers you want, but you will have him. You might not get what you think you need, but you will get what you really need. That makes that does make sense. That does. That makes sense. Well, why? What, what will happen if we are just there? The comfort will be there. The comforter, the words, the instruction, the correction, the encouragement, the new way new patterns of thoughts, new habits. You know, we're not swallowing all the propaganda that we have in our society about sex, like sex this and sex that and all that. It's like, wow, you guys are nuts. But can do you understand that, that sex and bad habits and, uh, and being superficial and hypocritical and, and somehow being deceitful, these are things that creep up in our hearts. But when we are coming to God by faith, we are worshipers and the Spirit filling us and speaking to us the things that we really need and processing it in our heart and mind. And you start to think 
like these thoughts as a way of life. Not just once in a while, but as a way of life. You start reading good stuff. You start feeling your heart. You start hearing messages that build you up. You start having friends like new friends. Remember the story about hang up the phone, Eric? Remember that story? And he did well for a while, but he couldn't shake the bad guys in his life. And he ends up dying early. He couldn't get rid of the bad guys. How can I get rid of the bad guys? How can I get rid of it but by becoming a worshiper in the house? Because in the house, we speak like this. In the house, we encourage, edify. We are instructing in the house. That's how it goes. Do you get it? Okay. Let's go to the last, last part, 26. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he is promised, saying, Yet once more, I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. I have to say this one thing here. It says in Luke 21, Jesus left the city and he went to Mount Olives and he spent the night there. And I had this in my mind that he lied down on the ground and he slept on Mount Olives. He spent the night there. And I was thinking, did he think about Zechariah 14 when it says in his second coming, his feet will touch the top of Mount Olives and the mount will split from the east to the west? Couldn't you imagine that here's a poor man rejected in Jerusalem and he's sleeping on Mount Olives and he's saying, this dirt, I'm coming back. This dirt, my feet are going to touch here. Right where I'm sleeping is a nobody right now. But I'm coming back. My feet are going to touch the top of this mountain, and it's going to split. That's going to happen. You know, that, that it sounds, to, to the unbeliever, sounds crazy, but not to us. We're coming back. The graves will be empty. Everything wrong will be made right. We're coming back. This world is not a picnic. It's kind of crazy sometimes, but we're coming back. And one of the reasons we know this is because we don't refuse what he's saying. We're hearing what he is saying, what he promised. Look at verse 26. He promised, saying, once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you want to build in us compartments, rooms, 
of truth in our soul, little by little. A team of carpenters put things together little by little and starts to take shape. And in a similar way, you want to rebuild our souls with truth in the inner man. And we must not run away from it, but draw near to it and not refuse, but hear and embrace it and work it in our hearts and teach us. Thank you, Lord. Preparing a bride to meet Christ one day. Preparing a bride. Thank you, Lord. And if you haven't started your walk with Christ, do it today. Make a decision. Make a decision in your heart. It's between you and God. But we compel you. We urge you. Make a decision and say yes to Christ. Be, be born again. In Christ's name. Amen.